Welcome to Conversations in Grief, a podcast from Anamkara, an organization set up by bereaved parents to help themselves and all bereaved parents cope with their grief and loss and journey on. I'm Sam Whelan Curtin, and in this second season of the podcast series, we'll be hearing from parents as they share their own unique stories of their children and their journey through grief. In this episode, we will be talking about the experience of losing a child to a sudden, tragic accident with John as he speaks to us about his daughter, Laura. Welcome, John. Can you introduce yourself and your family for us? My name is John. I have three children, um, two from my first marriage, Dara and Quiva, um, who are 29 and 26 at the moment and Laura who died five years ago next month she was 15 when she died. Tell me a little bit about Laura what she was like her character her interests her life. Laura was like a she was a young girl turning into a young woman she was like a flower about to open that got cut down she was 15. She was just finished her junior cert. That time in secondary school, that age, it's very problematic, like shifting friendships and so on and so forth. One of the strongest things that I remember about Laura was that she was very loyal and saw the best in people. And even if there was people who upset her, she always sought to forgive people and um, tried to understand. She was great fun. She was full of laughter. She was always messing. She was always looking to play. She used to love cooking with her mum in the kitchen. You see her in the kitchen with her mum. Her mum was a chef, so she'd be cooking in the kitchen. Laura would help or she'd be teasing her or you'd find the two of them dancing to music. Or I'd come home from work and she'd be there, Daddy, come for a swim, like. You know, I'm going, yeah, okay, let's go. Like, but it was always great fun going down and she loved just being in the water. She was really lovely girl. She is a lovely girl. There's so much vibrance in you as you describe her. When you speak to her memory, can you talk to me about Laura's death? So it was 2017. Nikki and I had been married for 10 years in mid-June. Laura had finished her junior cert. And Nikki and I decided we would go on a holiday to Crete. We always holidayed in Ireland, but we decided to celebrate. We would go on a holiday to Crete. And we thought we'd bring a friend for Laura. So we, we asked a, a couple that we know if they would mind if their daughter came on holidays with us to Crete. And then it turned out that they were thinking of going to Crete as well with their daughter. So we hatched the plot whereby the six of us would go. Um, Nikki and I were going to look after the two girls for the first week while the other couple went away. And then they would come back to look after the two girls and Nikki and I would go away for a week on our own. And we thought this was the perfect holiday. We arrived all together on the, on, on the first day. We stayed in the same place that first night. We went down to the sea. The two girls ran down to put their feet in the water. Just It was nighttime. It was 11 o'clock. 12 o'clock at night. And the next morning, Laura got up full of enthusiasm with her friend and they went down to the swimming pool for a swim and we said we'd follow them down. 
the filter in the pool had been broken so you couldn't really see through the water um, something happened to Laura while she was in the pool and she drowned and we didn't see her there was nobody watching the pool at the time um, and we didn't see her for a long time we didn't realise we thought she'd gone off we thought we thought she'd been kidnapped it took us 45 minutes to discover that she was in the pool that was like getting run over by a train just a sudden impact a sudden loss is indescribable I can't imagine and the fact that it happened abroad being in a different country it's terrible no matter where it would have happened but did that impact your experience? The following days it was surreal because we were in a tourist resort grieving um, and everybody around us was on holidays it was like being in a parallel universe if people saw the grief on our face, we didn't see any signs of it, but we were, we were just, we were in a different place. And those days that follow, there's so much that has to be done, so much happening, and so much happening inside yourself. Can you talk to me about those early few days? It was difficult being away. Um, two of my brothers came over the next day and... Um, they, they got us sorted out and got home because Nicky and I couldn't we couldn't have scrambled an egg like um, it was really difficult that first week it took two or three days before we got home and then it was another few days before um, we could have the funeral that first week the minutes dragged by lots of memories of sitting on the couch with Nicky holding her hand in tears it's hard to grasp how we got through that, but we did. The funeral kind of helps because these things have to happen. It, it, you know, um, people come around and you kind of go on autopilot. You kind of know what needs to be done and people help you figure out what needs to be done. And there's an autopilot that kicks in and makes you do these things. I was lucky because I'm a teacher and I was on summer holidays. I didn't have to go back to work till September. Nikki worked for herself, so um, she didn't do any work for the first couple of months either. That helped. And there was an awful lot of just sitting around and crying. I don't know how you describe it. You just, it's unbearable. You know, it's unbearable. And somehow you bear it. But I'd still say it's unbearable. And slowly, you know, you find yourself doing things. I remember Nikki maybe about two weeks after Laura died, she went out with some friends and she came home and she'd been laughing with her friends and enjoying herself. She felt so guilty afterwards. I do a lot of sea kayaking. I went out maybe about 10 days after Laura died um, the club. I'm a member of, had a trip from where I live and I went out and I got so much support. That kind of stuff really helps, you know. People brought food around, came visited, um, put their hand on your hand, you know. So that kind of sport is, is wonderful. In the early months, it really gets you through that life. In that stage, can you tell me about, I suppose, coping? You're, you're coping. You're, you're like, you're, 
you're in shock. You know, you're in shock for at least, for me, I was in shock for at least the first year. An autopilot kicks in. Um, you switch between grieving and distracting yourself from grief by, um, like when I went back to work, like um, that was a distraction. I, um, some people find it hard to go back to work. I went back to work and I enjoyed the distraction of work. But then at the same time, you do have to find time to sit down with the grief and just to process that and to spend time um, with those emotions. And it didn't take me long to figure out that it's actually, it's a balancing act. You have to figure out how much time do I distract myself and how much time do I allow myself to sit with these emotions. If you sit too long, you'll just sink into despair. But if you don't sit with them, um, the emotion for me just bursts out somewhere else. Like So it's a balancing act. And I think everybody, from what I've observed over the last few years, everybody finds their own balance. And I think that's a really important thing to do, to figure out your balance. What's right for you isn't going to be right for somebody else. And sometimes you get it wrong and you would sink into sadness and you wouldn't want to get out of bed um, for a few days or whatever. But I used to I used to allow myself a certain amount of time to feel sad and depressed and so on. And if I didn't see myself, if I didn't pull out of it, I'd have to kick myself in the ass and make myself do things. I'd, I'd distract myself um, because I figured that if I left it go too long, I might sink too deep and I'd be afraid of not pulling out of it. Like, And I don't know how I knew that. I just, it's a feeling. You just know like, okay, you need to do something here. Like, so that first Christmas, I got a copy of a book that somebody had written about um, how swimming helped them. And after Christmas, on Laura's birthday, um, early in January, I started swimming in the sea. Um, and I made a promise to Laura I'd do it for every day till the end of March. And that really helped. And then the following winter, I did the same thing. I swam from September through to the end of March and I didn't miss a day. And those first two winters in particular, when I think back, like, if grief is a form of madness, you can't think straight. Like somebody said to me, don't make any big decisions for at least two years. It's a, it's a form of madness. Like your brain is scrambled. Um, and swimming in the sea just helped ground me. It brought me out of my head and into my body. It just, it was really therapeutic. Talking about that madness a bit more, it's such an intense and accurate way to describe it. But how do you find hope in that? Somebody, um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody introduced us to Anamkara. And um, Laura died in June. I think in September, October, we went for our first Anamkara meeting and it was so hard. It was so hard walking through the door the first time. But I haven't stopped since. Um, I go as often as I can and it really helped. Um, there were people there that had lost their children, you know, five, 10 years, 15 years previous. There was one woman in particular and she used to say something along the lines of, I'm a happy person that carries a lot of sadness. And I remember hanging hope on that, thinking 
someday I'll be like that. Another thing that helped a lot was around nine months after Laura died, so coming into the spring, and I've described the grief as unbearable. Um, and that first winter, it was unbearable. But around nine months later, I realised, actually, I'm burying this. Um, and I've borne the worst of it. No matter what happens from now on, I know I can survive it. And that was a really difficult thing to admit. I hate using the words like, it felt like I'm, I, I'm, I was saying to myself, I'm going to get over this. But actually, you don't get over it. You learn to accommodate it, okay? But at the time, I felt bad saying it because I felt like I was cheating on Laura. I was going to get over the grief like. But actually, you never get over the grief. You just, you accommodate it and you make space for it in your life. Now, you know, after coming up to five years, I've made a, a reasonable amount of peace with that grief. The anger of the early years has dissipated. So that, that hopefulness, I don't know where it came from, but it really, having that as a light at the end of the tunnel made me realise, okay, in the dark days, just remember that, like, that you'll get there. A couple of months after Laura died, um, a, a couple of friends, or friends of friends, came to visit, and they had lost their child a number of years previously. And... One of them said to me, oh, it took me 12 to 15 months to feel normal again. And I kind of said to myself, okay, in 12 to 15 months, I'll feel normal again. And then when 12 to 15 months went past and I wasn't feeling anything like normal, I was kind of going, what's going on here? But then I realized, well, actually, normal's never going to come back like. We were living in a, a new life and it took a long time to accept that normal was never going to come back that we were on a new road the second year was also very difficult because the way i paraphrase this is the shock wore off and the autopilot broke um and i really struggled in that second year because um the shock wears off and the grief just hits you you realize actually this is not a dream this is this is reality this isn't going away this is here forever you don't have the shock to numb that pain and your autopilot just breaks and you don't know what to do with yourself. And it's hard to motivate yourself and it's hard to get out of bed. Um, I found that second year really difficult. We were lucky, Nikki and I, because um, Nikki had traveled a lot before Laura was born. And shortly after Laura was born, she said she wanted to go traveling again. She said she wanted to take a year off and go traveling. But we decided we'd wait two years um, because we figured we'd be like, we wouldn't appreciate it if we didn't give ourselves a chance to recover a little bit. The third year we did go traveling and that was, that was really good just for us to just be with ourselves and our own feelings. And we could go out and nobody knew who we were could deal with our grief on our own. Um, and I learned a lot that year. And the biggest lesson I learned from that year is just how fragile life is. Laura was snatched away in an instant. And it made me realize like that that could happen to any of us at any stage. That makes life very precious. The days that we have we don't know how many they're going to be. We don't know will there be a tomorrow. Um, and I learned a lesson that I really have to 
when I wake up, make the most of each day. And there'll be days when making the most of each day simply involves sitting on the couch and crying. And there'll be other days when it's going out and dancing, going kayaking, playing tennis, doing whatever. And it's taken me five years to get to a stage where I can say, I remember what happy feels like. It's a feeling that comes and goes, but it's kind of like, I feel like after five years, I'm getting to that place of being a happy person that carries a lot of sadness. I'm not there yet. It's a long journey. And you've mentioned another emotion, anger. You do have a lot of anger with the world and what happens to you as a grieving parent, the way people react to you as a grieving parent. And coming to terms with that is difficult. But I feel like I'm getting to a space where I've let go of that. Like, um, a lot of it's just trial and error, you know. You, you do things and you figure, you, you know, see what works and what doesn't work like. There's a lot of courage in doing that. Can you talk to me a bit more about that? I think it takes a lot of courage to sit with your emotions, like, because you know it's not going to be nice. Like to go to an Alam Cara meeting, it takes courage to walk in that door. Um, to speak up, it takes courage. To listen and and feel your own emotions being triggered by other people's stories. It takes courage to do all that stuff because there are difficult emotions to deal with. Like. And I don't know, I don't know where I get that courage from. I wouldn't describe myself as a religious person, but I believe in life and I believe in the preciousness of our lives. And I want to enjoy my days. And as Nikki has often said, she doesn't want Laura's death to define her. And I would echo that sentiment. And in order to do that, I need to learn to manage my emotions. Um, and I'm not going to learn to manage my emotions if I don't, first of all, discover what they are. Okay. And that's why like, you know, sitting with your emotions is important, but it's difficult and it takes courage. And talk to me in that Laura is obviously still very present for you. Can you talk to me about connecting with her? I, I have many different ways that I use to connect with Laura. In, in the first year, you know, after Laura was buried, I said to Nikki, what are we going to do with our grave? Um, she's buried in a graveyard where people do different things with the graves. We didn't want to have just grass, but we didn't want to put down the grey gravel that other people put down. And I decided I was going to cover her grave with white stones collected from the sea. And I spent a year, every time I went to the beach, I would collect white stones and I have her grave covered with white stones. And I always carry at least one white stone in my pocket so I can just put my hand in and she's there. But she loved the sea, so I love being on the sea um, and I think of her a lot. And it's difficult sometimes because I'll be on the sea and the emotions can overwhelm me, but I'm learning how to deal with that. And for parents who might be listening to this, who are in that learning, who are on this journey, particularly those who have experienced a similar sudden loss, is there anything you would like them to hear and take away from listening? One of the things I found very difficult because Laura died suddenly was that we never got to say goodbye. And it's a feeling that will never go away. But I think I've kind of, um, I've replaced that with a feeling of 
when I get sad now, when I think about Laura and I get sad, I actually think of, oh, Laura's come to visit. This is the way I think of it. And I'll stop. And I'll allow those feelings in and I'll sit there and I'll say, oh, hello, Laura, you're here. Nice to see you again. The other thing I'd like to say is to echo something that was on one of the other podcasts. I think it was something Katrina said. Um, it really struck me and it's so true. Summarizing her words, she said, nothing that you feel is wrong. That it's you in a difficult situation and nobody can tell you that what you're doing or what you're feeling is wrong and how you're handling it is wrong. It's you in your situation and you have to find your way out of it. To put trust in life, that life will bring you to where you need to be. And I would echo that sentiment. Life will bring you back to happiness. The day Laura died, I said to her friend, and I don't know where this came from, but I said to her friend, happiness will return. Laura wasn't dead 12 hours when I said that, but that belief came from somewhere. And it's what's got me through a difficult five years. In those five years, as you're looking back now and thinking of the supports you've mentioned, talk to me about the importance of reaching out. I think for me, I, I spend a lot of time looking for people to, I wanted to talk, I'm a talker. I wanted people to listen. Um, and it, it took me a long time to realize that not everybody can listen. Um, so for example, I'll always remember that in my kayak club, that first trip that I did, maybe 10 days after Laura died, one man just came over and he put his hand on my hand and looked me in the eye, shook his head, and that's all that ever happened between the two of us. But that was enough. Um, people will do things to show you that they're thinking of you. And it's been open to that and being able to see that but it took me a long time to see that I wanted people to listen and I was very angry when I found it difficult to get people to listen because when you if I mentioned Laura's name the subject would get changed quickly and that's frustrating but that's me but you do have to reach out and what's nice about Annam Carr is you can go into a room full of parents and they all get it um, and I found that so helpful even if I'm just sitting and listening just to know I'm not the only one just to know that that madness that I felt in the first few years it's not actually madness it's grief everybody else feels it they're all doing the same thing like I remember you know that first winter after Laura died like six months after she died like the despair forlornness loneliness, screaming anger. And going to an Alam Karen meeting and seeing somebody sit there and say, my child died too, but I'm a happy person who carries a lot of sadness. Um, and that gave me hope. And while I wouldn't describe myself as a happy person yet, I know I'm going to get there. Um, 
and I've stuck with the journey and I'll continue to stick with the journey. Thank you, John, for sharing that journey with us and for sharing your memories of Laura. We dedicate this episode to her memory. We know the power of hearing the stories of other parents and how this can help in navigating the journey of grief. Anamkara provides information, resources and bereavement support after the death of a child of any age and through all circumstances. They hold regular group meetings and information sessions in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. You can find out more by visiting www.anamkara.ie or calling plus 353-1-404-5378. We would like to thank all the parents who have spoken to us and shared their stories for this podcast series. Thank you for listening and be kind to yourself.